Want great business banking features like advanced payment processing? Whitney Bankers can help you find the right solutions for your business. Stop by one of Whitney's nearly 200 locations across the Gulf South or visit HancockWhitney.com. Member FDIC. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers Comp. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. You might remember some years ago during the George Bush administration, the Secretary of Defense famously tried to explain the perils of what he called unknown unknowns. That is things that are going on in the world that affect us, but that we're so oblivious to that we don't even know that we don't know about them. Mark Pesterek has nothing to do with politics or defense, but his business, Pesterek Habitats, deals largely with something that most of us don't even know that we don't know about, and that's the disappearing Louisiana prairies. Did you know that prairies once covered most of Louisiana? Today they are one of the most threatened and endangered biological systems in the region. Regenerating the Louisiana prairie is just one of the fascinating aspects of Mark Pesterick's work. There are many more. Mark, welcome out to lunch. Well, thank you. Glad to be here. I can't wait to see what the many more are. This is going to be great. They, now, Myron Katz's work also falls into the category of unknown unknowns. Myron is the director of research for a company called Building Science Innovators, and he's the inventor of something called CLEP. C-L-E-P. CLEP stands for Customer Lowered Electricity Price. It's a method of lowering electricity prices to consumers in such a way that making less money actually benefits the power company. Hmm. Myron, you will get a chance to explain that unknown unknown in just a minute, but first, welcome out to lunch. Thank you very much. Now, Mark, I'll start with you. Your company is reportedly the only source for restoration-grade native prairie seed in Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama. Whether or not many of us even know that we have a disappearing grassland crisis in Louisiana, the even bigger unknown unknown is that you alone are the only person who can save us from losing the prairies. Why aren't the LSU Ag Center or the state environmental departments involved in seed collection and prairie restoration? Why are you the only person in three states doing this? Well, the work that I do is a diverse amount of different species. Uh, happens to be that ULL, uh, oh, University yeah. of Lafayette, Louisiana, does some collecting of two different species for roadside enhancement, which I'm involved with as well. So this is a, sometimes, I mean, we do have beautiful wildflowers next to our interstates. That's where it Absolutely, and, and then, of course, in private lands and in, in natural areas on, let's say, um, government-owned lands, uh, they're just remnants of these historical landscapes that, that are very few and far between these days. Now, what did Louisiana look like back then? It would, uh... So it would have been a fire-driven landscape. So the natural history of the landscape would have been driven by fire. And which so, means? Uh, which occasionally lightning strikes would have come in once to maybe one every year to every third, fourth, fifth year. And it would have opened up the landscape through fire and then these plants that w w are grassland habitat species 
uh, would have thrived because of that. And, and of course, they were adapted specifically to the fire. So they're what are called pyrogenic species. And so, um, and involved in all of this is all that wildlife that comes with a prairie. Yeah. And so you not only have birds and bees and butterflies, but all we of never the talk about birds and bees on the show, but this <laughs> might be a good, good chance to it's start. Time. It is. It really is. <laughs> Lately, I've been hearing the term prairie Cajun versus, uh, I guess, uh, swamp Cajun or bayou right. Cajun. Right. Well, there, there are uh, what the way I got started with this is through the Cajun Prairie Society. So there's a group, uh, two uh, research professors from uh, University of La uh, Louisiana in Eunice uh, started doing research on this type of work. You know, do seeds grow when you take them from the prairie and put them in another spot? And when I saw this in 1991, I was just like, this is, this is what I have to do with my landscape business. And I worked on that for like 20, you know, 15 years before it really started to take off. But uh, the Cajun Prairie, is how people uh, survive, just like the homesteaders up in yeah. the Midwest. Right. Uh, they use the, the prairie for cattle raising, and, um, and then the, the rich soils of the prairie became the rice bowl of Louisiana. So very deep in cultural and historical value. Now, Myron, let's start with the biggest unknown unknown, CLEP, Consumer Lowered Electricity Pricing. As I understand it, when we get electricity from the power company, it, it costs more to buy it at peak times uh, during the day than it does off times. Uh, what your innovation CLEP does is turn appliances like the dishwasher or the hot water heater on at cheap times and not peak times. So we end up spending less on power and the power company gets to equalize demand over a longer period. If this works and enough of us were to use it, uh, won't you turn low demand hours into high demand hours and then we'd be right back where we started or I assume I'm missing something here, what is it? Well, um, well, first of all, the problem isn't the whole. The problem isn't that the wholesale prices are high and low of various times of the day, like you said. It's that the con the consumer, the resident, the the end consumer, you and I, don't get to buy electricity at wholesale prices. We buy them at retail prices. All right. And the retail prices in this for 95 percent of the country are homogenous. They're time independent. They're the same price all day long. And as long as they're the same price all day long, we have no incentive to use our dishwashers at night or air conditioners or anything else because we pay the same price all the time. But what, then what does CLEP do? Well, CLEP gives us access to wholesale pricing. You see, the actual cost of a kilowatt hour, roughly 10 cents a kilowatt hour, three cents of that is energy. And the utility, if we assume like the New Orleans utility has around a billion dollars a year of paths through costs, 300 million of that is the energy cost, and the utility is not allowed to make a profit on it in the current scheme. With CLEP, they could actually make a profit on that 300 million dollars of wholesale pricing. So if the wholesale price goes from minus one cent a kilowatt hour at two o'clock in the morning, to plus 10 cents a kilowatt hour on the same day and almost every day, if the consumer could help the utility buy more electricity when it's cheap versus when it's expensive, then that $300 million can go down to 200 million or 100 million. That difference, that 100 to 200 million dollars of savings that the utility no longer has to pass through to us, we could give them say 5% of it as a thank you for giving us a chance to lower our energy bill 
they're all of a sudden making money on a pass-through cost that they otherwise could not use, and everyone gets lower energy bills now, all at the same time. Now, when we're using uh, electricity here, how is it generated? I think, uh, I think a lot of people get confused. Uh, they think oil, and oil really isn't generating electricity. It's, it's coal, solar, natural gas, wind. What about right here? What, what drives us in this region? Okay, the New Orleans utility gets 4% of its electricity from coal, and at nighttime, 20% from wind, and daytime, about 5% from solar, and the rest of the time, it's natural gas. Ah, and that would make sense. I mean, we're the we're mecca for natural gas. Yeah, it's, and natural gas is used to run generators, just like, you know, you can make electricity by burning any fuel, but it's mostly natural gas. And when you, it's windier at night? Uh, not in New Orleans, oh. it's irrelevant. The wind I'm talking about is in Iowa. Oh, that's... The, that... There are windmills in Iowa that are in the same wholesale marketplace as New Orleans, and they're selling electricity typically at minus one cent a kilowatt hour at night. Wow, that is... Uh... And then okay. coal, you mentioned coal is uh, the only person that believes in coal is President Trump, right? There's, there's a no, I don't believe he. I don't believe he does either. <laughs> I think <laughs> the <laughs> only person is uh, spent Pence. He's the only one. And the whole notion of saving coal jobs. There's 75,000 coal jobs in the entire country, and we've had five times that many uh, people in the solar installation industry all by itself all co come into existence in the last decade. Your main business is consulting to, uh, regarding buildings in terms of what, energy efficiency? I think I also read moisture. Right, it turns out that um, most people understand that their energy bills are a lot higher than they should be, and uh, in the addition of a more efficient appliance like an air conditioner or a water heater can significantly lower that. And, and that's not news, that's been around, most people know that for a while. Sometimes we don't give people as much money to do that, namely the payback on the retrofit is underfinanced. CLEP, for example, can double the financing of an energy efficiency improvement. So something that we might think is a good idea becomes the twice as good of an idea, pays back twice as fast. But that's not the primary thing that my company, Building Science Innovators, does. What we do is we help people solve a host of problems, and the most significant one is moisture. In New Orleans, I think no one who lives in New Orleans has any doubt that it's the humidity more than temperature that makes us uncomfortable. What we don't, but what we don't realize is that what we perceive in our bodies is only one-tenth of what our buildings perceive. Our buildings are extremely negatively impacted by moisture flows. What, what does moisture do to uh, all that? Well, b moisture undermines the efficiency of our air conditioning equipment, can increase the thermal transmit, transmit capability, or namely opposite of insulation. It can increase the flow rate of heat through our buildings by a factor of 10. So when our buildings become wet because we inappropriately air condition them below the outside dew point, we actually degrade the insulating value of our insulation by a factor of 10. Wow. And the building codes are telling us to put to open up the moisture flow from the bottom, which is exactly wrong, and close down the moisture flow from the top, which is exactly wrong. And so it's not surprising if the building codes are wrong, they need building science innovators to tell them how to put it back 
do it, do it correctly. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with building science innovator Myron Katz and prairie and wildlands expert Mark Pesterek from Pesterek Habitats. Now, Mark, I got to ask you because we've uh, uh, this. When I think of what happened to the prairie, it's is it urban sprawl? Is it just development? What should I think? It's a combination of, of both. Uh, farming, uh, tree farming, and but cattle You're the only farming. guy I know that has a seed farm. Yes. What does that look like? Well, it looks like a natural area. So <laughs> I planted it to be just, you know, availability of seed. Yep. But I, I manage it as a natural area. So I do use fire in my farm. Whoa. I burn my farm. And, <laughs> and, and it, it makes uh, seeds, you know, just grow and, and it prolifer I'm really proliferate. A, I'm really yeah. a city boy. The fire does what? It, it puts... It, uh, it opens up the landscape. It, uh, it actually uh, treats seeds so that they germinate. And it actually makes plants flower. These plants that are adapted to the fire, some of them actually need the fire to produce flowers and seed. And so you, you'll find some of the most rare plants in these fire-generated landscapes, like if you go to Kisatchee National Forest, right. they use fire you know, and have you know, for many, many years, 70 years or 80 or more. And, uh, and that's where you'll find in, in Louisiana some of the most pristine landscapes. You did some work at the Children's Museum and then the, um, the Sculpture Garden in uh, right. City Park. Right, working yeah. on those two projects currently. And then we, we do parks. We've done parks, Alabama, uh, Mississippi, and Louisiana. That's kind of our range of work. And, um, and like university campuses, industrial uh, facilities. And so you're, you're, uh, the whole idea about this is not only do you increase and preserve and conserve these very uh, uh, threatened plants and then again threatened insects and so forth that are attracted to these plants, but you're also uh, creating a landscape that is uh, very efficient to manage like instead of mowing five, ten times a year, right. you mow it one time a year if you can't burn it. And uh, so you can save a lot of money with a large amount of land and create these beautiful garden-esque garden kind of landscapes. These lawnmower companies are going to come get you. They hate me. Yes, they I bet that would be, uh, <laughs> be the, that, I bet that would be but I'm, true. But I'm not anti-lawn. And you know. both are similar in another way. We've had a, kind of a core business, like you do landscaping. Right, and that goes to the, to the uh, Museum of uh, Art, the Sculpture right. Garden, and the Children's Museum, where I was, I was used as a consultant, as a horticultural consultant, uh, by out-of-town landscape architects that received the contract to do the project, to design the project. So I was a, a native plant horticultural you know, uh, consultant to these landscape architects. Wow, and, uh, and then I've, I've got to ask you, Marin, if we, uh, we don't do these kind of shows, but if I brought Entergy here, would it be like the Jerry Springer show? Would you be, be fighting each other? Or would, do they sort of agree? Or? I'm working hard to get Entergy into my corner. They are wondering about it. The Clip Battery Pilot, which is, I've actually got um, the Louisiana House of Representatives that pushed the Louisiana Public Service Commission to consider, okay, actually makes a profit for the utility better than, can, than making a, an electricity generator. So, By the um, way, is this product, is this like a, just something you stick on the wall? The thing that would automate when things get shut off and, and not? No, actually, it doesn't, it's not that easy. But, but I will say 
And those who can't watch me do this, yes, this I'm holding my cell we phone. We once had a magician on the show, so okay. this, this is fun. I have this a cell phone in my hand, and, right. and they're taking a picture of it. Inside the cell phone is a lithium-ion battery, and the same kind of battery, although there's a thousand of them, runs my electric car. And a similar battery like that would be in your home about the size of my electric car's battery of around a thousand small um, you know, cell phone batteries. Such a battery can store, store all the electricity the home needs for a day's use in four hours. I call that a whole home battery. And such a battery would, could be used to buy electricity when it's cheap, as I said, like one cent or minus right. one cent a kilowatt hour, two o'clock in the morning, and then use it for your own use and actually buy more than you need and stick it back on the grid at four o'clock in the afternoon where even though there's some inefficiency because you always lose energy going in and out of the battery. By the way, we should know this for sure. It, peak hours, what is it, three to eight? Is that the? It's a, it's a moving target. Okay. By the way, one of the questions you asked me at the very beginning, will CLEP self-destruct? The answer absolutely is yes. CLEP will self-destruct. The more successful it is, the less successful it will be. I've run businesses like and, that. And it's because we will be moving the peak hours, and the, we will move them outside of where they are, and they will become less peak with CLEP. Ah. And so the economic advantage of CLEP now is greater than it will be in the future, but as we do that, we lower the price of electricity for everyone because we will then be buying this wholesale electricity when it's cheap, and at the same time, we'll get more people to invest in windmills in Iowa. Why would you want to build a windmill in Iowa, Iowa and sell the electricity at minus one cent a kilowatt hour? How are you going to make money that way? But if we were to start paying for that electricity and buying it when it was cheap, more people would build windmills and we'd start paying two and three cents a kilowatt hour. Still a deal compared to the 10 cents at four o'clock in the afternoon. And then we have more windmills, everybody wins. Okay? All right. I get now, Mark, I got to ask you in your city, what happens if we don't save the prairie? Well, it's a good question. Uh, do we not need bees and, and oh, insects that pollinate? Oh, this is all part of that same thing. So sure, um, it is, um, you know, bees, they're not just honeybees, of course. There are lots and lots of different species of bees. And then um, they use some of these specialized plants. Some bees use one and some bees use another. It depends on the size of the plant. But uh, also, it's, um, I think it's something that um, it has this historical connection, and, it's, and it's, um, it, it has to do with um, using different parts of the prairie. So instead of just using a lot of different prairie plants, uh, you, can, you can use bits and pieces of them in landscapes, in urban condition, let's say a grass landscape. Um, but if you don't save the prairie, uh, then it'll be gone. And it, it is just a connection to our earth, uh, humans to earth, and it, and, it, and it has a lot to do with how people lived in, in this state and around the country uh, and living off the prairie. And give me an example. When, was, uh, when were we at that peak prairie time? When did it start to fall apart? Well, I, I would say that uh, certainly before pre-Columbian times, when, okay. when European explorers came over, uh, that kind of began the, the decimation or you know the, the destruction of the prairie over the long haul. But but it you know if you look at the Midwest and you look at it from Google Earth, and you can see all these 
Uh, it's just nothing but farmland, you know, separated, uh, very little natural area. And so, so I think we, we really need natural areas. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt was a good proponent of that. I think that's worthy of discovery and interest. And you've brought us wild, wild flowers, so you're Brought, a, brought uh, a few wildflowers, three different mints, uh, and so... Uh, you know, commanders will turn them into drinks. Well, you know, I was thinking these are good <laughs> culinary uh, items, but uh, um, yeah, in fact, this one right here is, is, uh, is actually smells just like a mint, like you would use in a mint julep here at Commander's. Uh, and, uh, but you've also got, like, this one right here is called Mountain Mint, and it was used uh, for... The, the old timers would send the children out into the field to collect that mint to use sausage, to make it uh, spice for sausage. And so there are a lot of different what plants. Good use for kids. Yeah, Just yeah. Send them out there. We Get on out there. Have them pick the blackberries. <laughs> <There's a> <laughs> <laughs> now, Myron and Mark, I've learned a lot of stuff today, most of which I knew very little about before we sat down to lunch. I'm glad this show is available as a podcast so I can go back and listen and see how much I missed. It's been really fun and fascinating to meet you, and thank you both for taking the time today to join me in Out to Lunch. Uh, it's Mark been Myron. a pleasure. Thank you. My guests in Out to Lunch today have been Mark Pesterek. He's the president of Pesterek Habitats, and Myron Katz, the director of research for Building Science Innovators. You can find out more about Mark's prairies and Myron's science by following the links on our websites. It's neworleans.com and WWNO. Org. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our researcher is Mr. Matthew Ellison. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. Mitchell's music is available wherever great jazz is sold, streamed, or stolen. And at MitchellForeman.com. You can get the show as a podcast, you can listen to past shows, you can even keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites. That's www.no.org and itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, and this is a particularly good-looking couple of guys here, you, you can find photos from this show on our website and Facebook page. The photos were taken today by Allison Moon. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace. For more business, New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers Comp. Want great business banking features like advanced payment processing? Whitney Bankers can help you find the right solutions for your business. Stop by one of Whitney's nearly 200 locations across the Gulf South or visit HancockWhitney.com. Member FDIC.